from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. It's Arts Day at the Capitol, always a fun and entertaining day here. We'll spotlight that activity later in the program. But first, more on how the next state budget is shaping up. And uh, here with Dave Mistich, senior reporter. Dave, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. We, we want to talk about what we're learning. The differences are between the Senate's proposed budget, the House's proposed budget, as compared to what the governor presented right. almost 60 days ago, 50 some days ago. Now the Senate budget, as you reported last night, is um, cuts the governor's proposal by 49 million. That's, now, that's just on, on uh, things that he had included in his budget. There were also some improvements, but we'll clear that up here in a minute. Uh, right, what, what I think we might wanna just launch into, which got a lot of attention right. today, is that the Senate's budget um, funds the IDD waiver, which is the Intellectual and Developmental Dis Disabilities Waiver, a Medicaid program that right. provides services to those um, folks in their homes. It's, it's 10 million okay. less than what the governor originally proposed. And so the governor put out a press release today right. saying that is non-negotiable. And we have here some remarks from the Senate Finance Chair, Craig Blair, uh, who spoke to that just uh, specifically this morning in session. As this process moves through, and I'm speaking to the governor as well, Mr. President, that when you send us a budget and there's no rooms for legislative improvements, cuts have to be made somewhere. We made some cuts in there. Now, as the process moves forward, and the legislation and the improvements that this body does and the other body does and the ones that make it across the lines that won't and those that won't, that'll allow us the flexibility to be able to bring things back into the budget that are fully fund. An IDD waiver is a prime example that is a $10 million increase that we added to it and brings it all, it's just short of $100 million that comes out of our general revenue into the IDD waiver. So Dave, pick it up from there. Right, so yesterday in the Senate Finance Committee, they quickly passed out their version of the budget, no amendments to it, uh, very, uh, something that we don't see a lot of, it just whizzed right out of committee. Uh, just to break this down really quickly about what the Senate's proposing, um, some cuts to the Jobs and Hope program, formerly known as Jim's Dream, uh, as well as the Communities and Schools program, which is the, you know, the First Lady, Kathy Justice, her, her big uh, initiative. Um, as well as the IDD waiver, as you mentioned, $10 million there, um, and a few things other that total up to about $49 million. Of course, there are some improvements, uh, talking the, the the, to pay for the Intermediate Court of Appeals, uh, the judicial pay raises, um, the Medicaid dental coverage, all these, all these different pr the bills that have passed out of the Senate. Um, the House today went in and they worked their version of the budget it's always interesting to see how those priorities uh, right, change. Right, right. And, and of course, you know, one of the things to keep in mind is they can't account for uh, 
revenue or, or for budget improvements until the, bas the bill actually passes that chamber. So, you know, the, some of the things that have passed the Senate are not included in the House budget and vice versa. Vice versa. Right. And so the governor's uh, proposed budget, uh, you know, the, the difference between the, the House Finance Committee and the governor's proposed budget, about $45 million in cuts to some of those programs. But uh, I believe there's about $39 million in improvements. So, um, there, the, on the House side, the, they, they defunded the $1.8 million for the MARC train over there in the Eastern Panhandle. Uh, similarly to the Senate's budget, there were some cuts to the uh, Jobs and Hope program. Um, but they, there were some amendments offered in that committee. Democrats proposed all of them, I believe, and none of them made it, made it out of committee. So they're basically coming in with this committee substitute and it heads to the House floor now. So You know, I was listening to some of those, uh, I was listening to the audio stream of that meeting while you were there attending. It, it, again, just a, a different shift in, in, in priorities. Tourism right. takes a $5 million cut. Right. Um, state colleges were unchanged. Now the IDD waiver in the House is, is fully funded. Right. Um, and again, let me just, uh, I'm going through this, the Mountaineer Challenge Academy is is not in the House budget. No, 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 there would be a second uh, proposal for a second location. So, and I believe that they said that that would be in the back of the budget if there was some money later on. But right now in the current version of the budget, it's not there, so. And uh, in, uh, there were a couple amendments that I thought we would talk about in, in advance of uh, Domestic and Sexual Vi Violence Awareness Day, which uh, takes place here tomorrow. There were two uh, amendments offered by uh, Delegate Isaac Spinagle, right. one for um, the, the domestic violence shelters and then another one for their legal fund right, to right. help these uh, largely women right. um, and, in their defense. And both those failed, so, you know, that, that you know, every amendment that was proposed in the committee went down. Um, of course, arguments for, uh, you know, Democrats spoke in favor of all these amendments, but in the end, they didn't make it out. So. All right, so tell us where the um, Senate budget proposal is now, where the House budget Right, so the Senate budget now. was read the first time today. Um, it looks like it will be on the amendment stage tomorrow. The House, I believe, you know, if they receive the message tomorrow, they'll, it'll be on first reading um, maybe Saturday. And they um, are meeting on Saturday. It, that's what we understand. So I understand that the Senate could pass its version of the budget by Saturday. We'll see how the amendment stage goes tomorrow. Um, and of course, the House will have to do three full days of reading and get to that you know, second reading with amendment stage and see how it all turns out. And we totally expect that uh, there will be maybe some of these same amendments and additional amendments uh, on the on the floors when the, once the right. budget gets there. Right, I mean, at least in my experience, we've, uh, I've, I've seen uh, on second reading a budget in each chamber, it tends to be a long, lengthy process. Um, delegates and senators try to offer programs for their, that, that help their particular district, their communities. Um, you you see, oftentimes see a fight sometimes over these things, uh, but you know, we're, we're, we've yet to know what, what those are gonna be this year, but in the past, in my experience, there's bound to be something offered on the floor. So. All right, Dave Mistich, senior reporter. Thank you so much for that breakdown. Sure. Appreciate it. As we have mentioned, it's Arts Day here at the Capitol when West Virginians come to the Capitol to promote their passions for creativity. Randy Yowie reports. Emily Miller's fiddle music often resonates throughout the Augusta Heritage Center. Based at Davis and Elkins College, the center brings heritage alive 
inviting art and music masters from around the state to share their gifts and educate. We're bringing in cultural tourists from all over the world, Elkins, West Virginia, but also we have an educational outreach branch. So this is using the mechanism that we have to bring in all these master artists from all over the world to directly go out and run programming in our community. Vance Hewitt is a retired sheet metal worker turned potter. You can find Vance at the Parkersburg Art Center's popular Clay Lab. Here and with arts communities throughout the state, the impact often proves personal. I love the Art Center. I've grown up there. I have loved it my whole life and I have two little girls who have gone through the art programming there and it has really just made me love it even more. The West Virginia International Film Festival offers cinema like the Oscar-winning foreign film Parasite. Far from one fest, the exclusive year-round movie showings happen at the flagship cinema setting in the basement of Charleston's Taylor Books. It's a 30-seat jewel box cinema and it really just creates a nice intimate space where people can come and love film and discuss film. Cabell County and Connie Dillon was one of a very few individual artisans among the art state groups and organizations on display. The stained glass artist says she came as an advocate, concerned over what she says are arts programs being shoved aside in public schools. I have a grandson growing up, he's six years old. I think they have art class one to two days a week depending on the rotation, but a lot of counties in West Virginia don't have it. This artistic crowd at the Capitol wants all West Virginians to realize that everything that we see, hear, say, do, or experience is enhanced by the arts. I'm Randy Yoey for the Legislature Today. Joining me now is the curator of the West Virginia Department of Arts, Culture, and History, Randall Reed Smith. Welcome to the program. Hi, Suzanne. Nice to see you again. You, you just told me before we started this uh, this program, this is one of your favorite days of the year. It is probably my favorite day of the year. What was your most enjoyable moment of the day? My most enjoyable moment of the day had to be when we brought the Cabell Midland High School Marching Nights and the Hurricane Red Hot Show Choirs into the House and the Senate and to the Governor to give them proclamations for their state championships in their fields. Yeah, they were performing out there. Oh, they're it was great. just fabulous. It's all about just, kids. Just fabulous. Um, the these entities that we we saw that we just showcased in the in the piece. Um, you know, Augusta Heritage Festival, the different um, theaters, and certainly your department. Uh, we, uh, this department, receives funds from the governor and the legislature. Talk about that investment as we are right now talking about the budget that's moving forward. Talk about the investment and the value, the return on the investment. Well, the value of the arts, the return on the investment that we as a state put into the arts, it's, it truly is immeasurable. Whether it's the fine arts or the performing arts through what we do at the Culture Center or the historic arts and the you know restoration of, of arts resources through, uh, uh, through the historic preservation, uh, if it's the media, digital arts, what you all do down at Educational Broadcasting Authority, uh, or the literary arts through uh, the Library Association, the return is immense. It, if you want to build a future and build a great culture, you have to do it through the arts. And you know, while we might not be a formal partner with tourism, we are a big part uh, of tourism. And I say we because the West Virginia Public Broadcasting is under the umbrella of arts, culture, and history. Um, but but that's a big 
that, you know, that's a big thing that, that uh, the arts does. It well, brings people into the state. It's good that you bring up tourism because we have an incredible working relationship with Chelsea Ruby and the uh, Division of Tourism and Senator Gonch at Commerce. Uh, you hear the governor talk constantly about our cultural and heritage tourism. And so we are working with Chelsea all the time to try to figure out better ways to bring more people into West Virginia to see the, the heritage and the culture of West Virginia. Um, I, I always like to ask you, you know, if there's a, a gem out there or a particular place or a, you know, a, a site, a destination with uh, that, is, is spotlighting our our arts, our arts, culture, and history. What what would you well, let's give a shout from, out let's to right now? Let's start off in the south and go up. Sure. Uh, certainly Lewisburg. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have the Greenbrier Valley Theater. They have one of only four Carnegie Halls in the world, built in 1902. Uh, the, the Chuck Mathena Center over at Princeton. Come up further up, you've got West Virginia uh, Theater, Theater West Virginia in Beckley. Uh, Elkins is great for the arts, mm -hmm. Shepherdstown. It's, it's, you just see pockets of Clarksburg. They just redid the Robinson Grant. And Wheeling, you have the Ogilvy Institute up there that does everything. So you have to go everywhere. Of course, my favorite place is the Keith Alby in Huntington because that's where I uh, cut my teeth on the arts. Um, what is it, do you think, I mean, we're, we're so proud, citizens of, uh, of West Virginia are just so proud of our of our heritage and our history. Why, why do you think that is so particularly so? Well, I think with the exception of jazz, many of the art forms that are indigenous to our country started here in the heart of Appalachia, which is what became West Virginia. Uh, old time music, I mean, who doesn't like old time music? It's wonderful, it's who we are. Uh, what I like about the arts in our building, not only do we tell the stories, we find the keepers of the stories and help develop that. So we are a very proud people, uh, you know, from the very beginning in 1763 when King George III said we couldn't come across the mountains anymore, we did it anyway. And we brought with us all of the, that home learning and all those arts in the home that, you know, entertain folks. And the arts, I think the most important thing about the arts, I know the most important thing about the arts, is that it's in our communities. It enhances the education that our kids are getting. It gives something to do for entertainment, for people to go out in the, the evenings to go see all these wonderful arts organizations, the creativity of our people. But most important, who's gonna to want to come and settle somewhere where there is not the arts, where the it's arts are not It's a quality of life there. issue. It is a huge quality of life issue. And I like to tell all my friends in education, the arts is the only pure academic, everything like history, science, English, those are all purely electives. It's all about the arts. I know the VH1 Save the Music program has become so important and is so generous to schools and the state of West Virginia students, largely because of a relationship that you personally have cultivated with these folks over the years. And that program and its um, its affiliation with West Virginia is reaching a, a significant milestone. Well, 10 years ago, they came to West Virginia and they introduced them to me and I took them through the southern part of the state and showed them the need for you building. You charmed them. Well, <laughs> I threatened to leave them in Gilbert if they didn't do that. <laughs> but 10 Wait, years without later. Without a map. Yeah, yeah. 10 years later, uh, we are now in our uh, 100th school this yeah, year. Which that was the milestone. 103. That's, uh, that's over $4 million worth of instruments, almost 4,000 instruments, but institutional materials, learning materials, uh, 
educational enhancements. Uh, you know, we get the music stands. A music stand can cost a hundred bucks. That truly changes lives. It really does. Yeah. And I, I remember. I went to Summers County and I went to the Board of Education there. We were going to put, because we do middle schools, and of the 162 middle schools now, we're in 103. But I remember going to Summers County and this sweet little man on the board was just in tears and he said, I just want a band that can play the national anthem in our school song. And I just thought, you know what, whatever I do, I'm going to fund instruments there in Summers County. And it's, you know, we're in all 55 counties and we just are building opportunity for our kids. If we're going to have anything in the future in this state, it's going to be because of our kids and what we show them that's important. Um, it, you know, the, this larger uh, merger with the education and the arts and, and culture and history, you're about two to three years into that merger. Tell us, um, you know, your, your message to the legislature. What is important for us to know um, about that agency change? Well, it's almost two years. And it's very important. And the first thing I want to say is thank you to the legislators, but most importantly, thank you to the governor. He was set on making sure that we had a department of the arts, culture, and history. And not only that, then he recommended to the legislature that we have a 20% increase in funding for the competitive arts grant and a 20% increase to the Historic Preservation Development Fund that would feature, uh, you know, grants to uh, uh, properties that were repurposed for the arts, basically. And it was important that we did more arts education. And that's what the governor, uh, highly suggested and the legislature followed. We're now in our second year. I think we need to also show that because of the merger, we saved $2.6 million. Then we did not cut a service and uh, we're still going strong. And it just brings all of us together. We're all together doing the arts, public broadcasting, which I like to call educational broadcasting authority because what mm -hmm. you do is really educate. Uh, library commission, of course, volunteer services. I always say they're the, the art of giving, which is so important. But no, it's going well, it's going strong, we're still going. A curator of the West Virginia Department of Arts, Culture, and History, Randall Reed Smith, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. I'm sorry I'm so long-winded, but I believe <laughs> in what I'm supporting. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Next, a spotlight on just one of those educational efforts. This one is from the uh, West Virginia Humanities Council. Reporter Caitlin Tan brings us this story on the Folklife Apprentice Program. So this is going to be a tune uh, called Greasy String that comes from the playing of Lee Hammonds, who was born at Spring Creek in northern Greenbrier County, but lived in uh, Thomastown near Marlinton. and Doug Van Gundy have known each other for several years as part of the West Virginia old-time music community. But in 2018, they together took advantage of the West Virginia Humanities Council's year-long Folklife Apprentice program, which sets up a master-apprentice relationship. And although Annie was an accomplished musician at the time, she wanted to learn the nuances of the music of her home, Greenbrier County. And it turns out, Doug is one of the few people who's an expert. Appalachian old-time music predates bluegrass music. It comes from a time when music was made in the home, when there was a drive to collect and remember the tunes played by the older members of one's family. There was an instinctive understanding that traditions must be passed on. 
Doug is an eighth-generation West Virginian, and he says the music is essential to the state. We have such a history of extractive industry in this state. If you take away coal, if you take away gas, if you harvest that, take it somewhere else, there isn't any more. But this music, you can come in, and you can take and take and take and not give, and we still have as much music as we ever had. This music is like a spring of water coming up out of the ground. You can fill your bucket and that spring box is still full because it's just replenished. However, there are distinct differences in the musical styles throughout the state that are just a few musicians shy from being lost forever. And the music of Greenbrier County is one of the less common styles still alive. So Annie says Doug sharing that knowledge with her is helping to preserve the state's heritage. That's part of what makes the, the tradition special is that I think like it's, I mean, it's a folk tradition, right? Like that's what makes it work is that you share it and people are learning it and it's, it's a part of the community. Unlike Annie, Doug didn't learn how to play old time until he was an adult, although he remembers enjoying it as a child growing up in West Virginia. But as an angsty young adult, Doug says he rebelled against his West Virginia roots and moved to Utah to pursue punk music. Four years later, after a long night of partying, Doug came home and fell asleep with the local radio station playing. And I woke up at like 9.30 in the morning and there was the country and bluegrass show and uh, I heard Hazel Dickens on it. And I had seen Hazel Dickens sing here in Elkins on three or four occasions when I was a little kid. And she'd always been a hero of mine. I just burst into tears. I hadn't been home in like a year and a half. And uh, I sold all my electric gear and went and bought an old beat up Martin and started learning to flat pick fiddle tunes uh, on the guitar. And he never turned back. Shortly after returning to West Virginia, Doug apprenticed under Mose Kaufman in the early 90s. Mose was one of the original Greenbrier Valley old time music legends. At the time, Mose was almost 90 years old, but Doug visited him weekly in a nursing home for the last year of Mose's life. Doug didn't know how to play songs on the fiddle when he first introduced himself to Mose. He played for about three hours and he kept trying to hand me the fiddle. Now you play me something. I said, I can't play, I can't play anything. But he would play for me and by the end of that, he had figured out a tune that I really liked that he thought was simple enough for me to start on. And he said, okay, I want you to come back and play this for me. Come back next week. Mose passed away in 1994, but 26 years later, Annie is able to have that connection to some of the original old-time musicians through Doug. Although, she says, the beauty of old time is that no one rendition will ever sound the same. I mean, that's one of the things in general about this music that I love, right, is, is there are these direct lines of connection of, like, stories and nuances and the way people play it, and each time it gets passed on, it changes a little bit, you know, and, like, that's part of the tradition, which is really exciting. 
Through the apprentice program, Doug and Annie got together to practice the Greenbrier style several times a month. They spent a lot of time listening to Doug's old recordings of Moe's playing. One of their favorite songs they practiced over the year is called Turkey Creek. It's a song Moe's wrote. And this is a tune that I don't know that anybody else really played. That this, If people play this out in the world, it probably came from Moe's Kaufman. Or us. <laughs> continuing one of the historical traditions of West Virginia from her great-great-great-grandfather to the four generations of living Strouds today. Traditional music is alive and well in West Virginia. For the Legislature Today, I'm Caitlin Tan. Tomorrow on the Legislature Today, I'll be joined by State House reporters for a status report as we enter the final week of this legislative session. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. <laughs>